Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Parents, this is an episode you do not want to miss. This week, I deep dive with Mary Flo and Megan from the Birds and Bees and how and when to talk to your kids about where babies come from, periods, and sex. We also discuss how to protect our kids from pornography, as well as the importance of using correct language when labeling their body parts. It's really difficult to give you an age because if you have more than one child or if you're around more than one child ever, you are fully aware that a seven-year-old right here and a seven-year-old over here are not the same. You know, like your firstborn at age five or six probably lived a really sweet, simple life. And they had an early bedtime and read lovely books and had healthy organic foods and a great schedule and maybe even napped after school. Some, I mean, it was just idyllic. Yeah, yeah, we've all been there, and it was sweet, and we had, and then we, and it, how lovely, you know, yeah, we, that's how the way life yeah. was, you know, it was lovely. It was so simple, <laughs> so endearing and sweet. And then that second child comes, or that third, or you know, heaven help us, a fourth came along, and that fourth baby at age seven is living a completely different life. They don't even know what a home cooked meal is. They're in the car all the time. They can sleep at, you know, any given moment on the soccer field, you know, they have no rhyme or reason. They're super flexible. I mean, there's great qualities about them too, but their life is so different. What they're exposed to is so different. Hi, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Megan and Mary Flo, I am so excited to sit down with you today and talk about the birds and the bees. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Kim. We're so happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. So let me tell you a little story about how I found out about you. It was actually recently. I was having coffee with one of my um, mom girlfriends, and we were sitting there, and I was telling her that I, over the summer, I was telling my nine-year-old what a period was. In third grade last year, there was a lot of conversation around it. And a little girl had come up to her, a friend of hers, and said, have you heard about a period? And she had kind of heard about the term, and she was familiar with the term, and she knew it had to do with puberty, but that was about it. And she turned to the little girl and said, no, I have no idea what a period is. And so the little girl, bless her heart, said, well, let's wait for your mom to tell you. I don't want to be the one to tell you. And I wanted to hug her right there and just say... <laughs> Thank you for being so mature and letting yep. me be the one to share that. Because I guess in my head, I just didn't know I'd have to start talking to her about it at eight years old in third grade. To me, it just, it wasn't time and I didn't want to scare her and, you know, 
tell her all the details about it and, you know, her be afraid of it or, you know, all those things. And so I kept putting it off and putting it off. And so this mom friend of hers has been following you on Instagram for a while. And she said, well, this is how I told my child and they have great advice and you have to talk to them. So I literally emailed you right then and there. And I said, will you please be on my podcast? And here we are. So I know we have a lot to dive into, but let's kind of start at the beginning and talk about the importance of using appropriate terms when talking about body parts and being able to protect our bodies and our child's young bodies. Mary Flo, do you want to take this one first and let me know what your thoughts are on that? Absolutely. The, the, one of the first things we do is give our children vocabulary. And sometimes parents are reluctant to give the right vocabulary for their private body parts, but it's really important to do that it, on many levels. First of all, it's much more protective for children not to have those wingy, wangy words. It's good for just a, an atmosphere in the home, not to be too silly, not to be too shameful, not to shh, don't say that, but instead for it to be a common thing for children to hear their parents use correct terminology to say penis, to say vagina without, um, you know, their head exploding. And so <laughs> it, you, what you want to do is to become the loving authority over all these things. So in order to be that authority, you have to sound like an expert. And you can't do that if you're still using really silly words. That being said, you don't have to use them all the time. You know, if you're in the grocery store, if you want to, if your children say, my penis hurts, well, that's fine. Um, but, But you can also say in public, it's polite to use the word privates. And it's part of the of them being private is that these words are fine and correct and everything and no shame should be put on them but there are polite ways to use them and some that make other people uncomfortable so but bath time even when children are being potty trained that's a great time don't let it be news once they're older just start as early as you can with the right words And I absolutely agree. And it's interesting because in my relationship with my husband, I, you know, we're both in the field of psychology and me being more the child expert, he works with adults and couples. And I would say, well, we need to start using these terms. And he would be the one that was almost shamed about it. He was very uncomfortable using those terms. And one day he just blurted it out. I think he was so anxious about it. He just said, well, this is this and this is that, you know? (laughs) So I know I didn't go about it the right way, but I want to educate, you know, anyone listening today and parents out there to to start using those terms, like you said, as, as early as even potty training, which is really around maybe sometimes two or three years old, depending on the child's development. So I think that's a great Megan, let me talk to you a little bit about pornography. There was something I read on your Instagram page the other day, and you could probably say it a, a lot more with, 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 with more facts and more articulate than I am, but it was something about how children could be exposed to pornography as early as 11 years old, which is crazy, which is about fifth grade for most kids. That seems so young to me, but I know with our world that we live in with technology and, you know, my, both my kids got iPads in kindergarten when they were five years old. So they have the means to look things up. They have that exposure, you know, everywhere, really. How, how can we protect our kids against pornography? And what do you suggest when it comes to that? So I think, well, first of all, you quoted the facts or the uh, statistic correctly. The average age of first pornographic exposure is 11. 
Um, and that is very shocking. Um, but I think if we think about it as parents, we are very aware that we're raising our kids in a hyper-sexualized culture. And we also are fully aware that we're raising our kids surrounded by technology. And so that that is just kind of why we have landed where we are. And not every kid that's exposed to pornography is actively seeking it out. You know, there's things pop up or things are misspelled or, you know, lots of other scenarios can happen. So in this case, this situation, we really encourage parents that, that knowledge is power in your words. As a parent, your words have power to protect. Um, so kind of piggybacking on the private parts conversation about the words penis and vagina and how we want to incorporate those vocabulary words in our home. Not only are we kind of becoming the authority on all things bodies, we're also letting them know we're setting clear boundaries. So not only just labeling the words penis, vagina, but also mm -hmm. letting them clearly know, oh, that's a private part. Okay. And then having a follow-up conversation later on, well, what does private mean? Oh, private means no one can look at, touch, or take pictures of. Okay. And these are just like little conversations we're having. And again, something we are really big on at Birds and Bees is to replace this idea of the talk. And so this shouldn't be one sit down conversation where you say everything I just said to your kid and you, you know, close the door and walk away and think, oh man, we did it. We are going to protect them. Thank you so much. And it's like, no, you should be saying these phrases often. Remember your penis is a private part. So nobody else should look at that. You know, just reiterate um, these kind of sayings, you know, every once in a while when you're going over to a friend's house or um, if they're changing their clothes, get their bathing suit on. Why don't you come in the changing room with me? And remember your private parts are private. That means, you know, again and again and again. So this translates to pornography is again, we're having conversations about this. So when parents hear, okay, we want you to talk to your young kids about pornography. It's like <gasps> very upsetting. You know, I don't want to do that. And we don't really want to either. But what we're trying to tell you is these are age appropriate conversations. This is not a very, we don't want you to have graphic conversations with your young kids about pornography. What we simply want you to do is to introduce this idea to little kids that we want to be really careful around screens. You know, okay, here's, you can play with the iPad for a little bit while we wait. I will put, uh, you know, let mommy type in the code because there are some good pictures out there, but there's also some bad pictures and we've got to be really careful. And then again, kids need black and white. Kids need clear definition. So what, what's a bad picture? Oh, you know, a bad picture is something that makes you feel kind of icky inside. Maybe it makes your tummy hurt or something that's super scary and makes you want to look away. Or a bad picture is a picture of someone's private parts. Remember, we never look at somebody else's private parts. And so what you're doing is kind of taking this really scary topic and breaking it down into age appropriate ways that you can kind of give this information to your kids that will ultimately protect your kids. So then if God forbid they do see a bad picture, they know, oh, this is what my mom was telling me about. I'm going to go tell her. Um, so you're kind of giving them an exit strategy and you're also giving them clear definitions and clear boundaries. And I think parents, including myself sometimes, have it backwards a little bit. I think they... Th I Yes, I would say that is one of the top reasons why parents avoid, and I would say especially conservative parents, avoid this topic because their reason is, I want to keep my child innocent. And, and innocence and information get, get confused. Like you can be very informed, but still have an attitude of innocence intelligence about something doesn't mean a lack of innocence about something. So we're equating knowledge with not being innocent anymore. And that's, that's where you have to really stop and think, actually, 
the information they're getting is their protection. It's protecting their innocence because if they don't have information, they're so vulnerable. Like your daughter's friend was so sweet to say, go ask your mom. Mm -hmm. That is quite unique. (laughs) Normally it's like, well, let me tell you. So, and then they don't know if they can come home and share that with you. So for her to direct her friend to her mom was awesome, but that's unusual. So uh, their protection is really the information and the guidance and the boundaries that you're giving them. And then to always tell them, if you see a bad picture, come straight to me, you know, come back to me. I've got more information for you. We can, we can deal with it. But when they start to hide it because they're not comfortable talking with you, or you don't seem to have good information, you keep putting them off, then that's when they think, well, I'll just go somewhere else or I'll Google it because I'm feeling very awkward trying to talk to my parents. We want to be the safe place where they come. So we we don't want to give them too much information, but we want to give them solid, consistent information. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are, one of our themes at Birds and Bees is kind of a little by little approach instead of this huge gush of water, kind of a drip, drip, drip strategy. And I think just for about the examples of periods specifically, I think it's almost confusing for kids. And if we went about it in the traditional way of like, I'm going to tell you all about your period and about getting pregnant all at the same time. You know, that's a lot of information. And and on a certain level, yeah, they all are, you know, they all make sense and go together. But for a little 12 year old girl, that doesn't really make sense at all. And it seems like very confusing or can I get pregnant now? And, or I don't want to get pregnant. You know, there's lots of, it's just a lot at once. And so kind of to step back way back, you know, even when your kids are really young and they're walking in on you in the bathroom all the time, they're digging through your purse or they find a, a tampon under the sink or, you know, your pads or whatever it is to kind of use those opportunities when they're very young to kind of engage on this topic. And again, you don't, that don't mishear me to think that like, okay, you and your three-year-old need to be sitting down talking about fertilized eggs. No, but you can say, oh, that's, you know, that's a pad. That's for mommy's period. The word period doesn't have to be taboo. You know, this can be something just like private parts. These are just something we talk about in our home. You know, it's like, oh, that's for mommy's period. Mommy's just bleed a little bit once a month. It's, you know, it's part of being a healthy woman, you know, kind of have language that kind of helps normalize periods. And for your girls and your boys, you know, like if you have a little boy that's running around the house or looking through your purse, not say, don't touch that, put that away. Don't look in that drawer. You know, that's confusing and creates kind of the shame. And what we would like to do is to help, like we've said this before, but um, we want to normalize periods because periods are normal. And that is true for a young girl who will eventually have a period one day or for a young boy who will eventually deal with periods, whether it's his wife or a daughter or whatever. And so what we want to do is kind of have little conversations like that from a young age, you know, in the environment that they're around. They'll see, you know, things in a bathroom stall or in a public restroom. Mom, what's this machine over here? Oh, you know, remember how you use pads and you're on your period? You know, sometimes people forget it. And so a lot of times in public places, they'll offer you one for free. Isn't that so thoughtful? You know, just have these little conversations. Um, And then instead of focusing from like a technical point of view, instead of focusing on the eggs, even though you're more than welcome to dive into those conversations, initially, I think it's easier, I think, or more simple to talk about just the uterus, you know, and kind of say, oh, you know, the lining of the uterine wall kind of cleanses itself each month. And that's kind of part of the blood that comes out. Because I think sometimes if you start talking about fertilized eggs and nope, didn't get pregnant this month, that can be confusing, I think, for a, a very, a prepubescent child or even a young child in puberty. And so again, that's not to say you never want to explain 
the the whole full story of periods. But I think what we are really trying to do at Birds and Bees is to take all these big topics and break them down. So we're not just having one conversation about a period. We're starting at three or four when they ran into us in the bathroom. And then we're going to add that again, you know, at age seven or eight when one fell out of my purse. And then we're going to talk about it again when it's like, hey, have you ever heard about the word puberty? Well, this is what it means. Or, you know, to kind of have all these little by little conversations that kind of build. And, and just to add to that, we, as part of our birds and bees curriculum, very early on, we start introducing seeds and eggs as being part of what is deep inside of every living thing to make the next living thing just like it. So we start with fruits and vegetables. We start with things in the garden, but living things have seeds or eggs. And so that is a concept they can totally understand. It's a non-sensual sexual fact (laughs) of seeds and eggs so that Eggs and seeds inside of human beings are not going to be a news for them mm-hmm. when they when you start talking about your period. <laughs> well, typically a child will ask, not all the time, but a child will ask about how is that baby getting out of there before they talk about how the baby got in there. And so we give a word-by-word dialogue for parents in our course about explaining exactly how the baby gets out, because usually that's their first question about that. And so we encourage parents to say, that is a great question. I'm so glad you asked. And to think through how to explain that in a way that actually will dazzle them, because it is an amazing thing. Birth is an amazing thing. So you start talking about a small embryo, and after nine months of growth can leave the uterus. So we use all the correct words. The baby's not in mommy's tummy. That's where cheeseburgers go, but babies don't grow there. And really bring the uniqueness of a woman's body uh, to light about this special place designed for babies to grow. After about nine months, the baby's big enough to live outside of the uterus. So the muscles around the uterus push the baby out of the uterus, through the birth canal, and out a special opening between the mother's legs called the vagina. So you are giving a lot of words. <laughs> and we just said a minute ago, don't overwhelm them with words. But this story, we do let you open the overwhelming part because we want their little eyes to pop and say, wow, you know all about this. So you explain, and there's nothing sensual, but it's a very factual biological story of how the baby gets out. You can talk about cutting the umbilical cord. There's a lot you can tell them so that they know exactly how a baby's born. And um, that raises your level of expertise in their eyes to expert status. So you you just got five stars for that. So it's very, (laughs) it's a great conversation. They're so curious about it. You'll get lots of chances to tell it because they're going to say, tell me again how that baby gets out. And, but I understand because with my firstborn, I did say, well, I just go to the hospital and the doctor helps me. I came home with the baby because the doctor helps me. This is exactly what I said to her. Now, what kind of cookie do you want? Like, don't ask me another question until I I really thought through, okay, now this isn't fair. Like they're asking questions at five. I'm putting them off and I'm going to wait for that awkward age to tell them this awkward conversation when they're little kids and are curious. So that's kind of the genesis of birds and bees was trying to get the break down the idea of the talk and start talking to your young children in bite-sized pieces. Now, I know I just gave you a big bite of birth, but when they say, well, how did that baby get in there? You just say, well, that's a great question too. 
you know, there is a seed because we've been talking about seeds and eggs inside of, of the mommy. And there are, seed. I mean, it's a, there's an egg inside of the mommy and a seed inside of the daddy and their bodies can fit together in a special way that the seed and the egg meet. When that happens, the baby starts. And that I think is a great place to start, you know, and I think yeah. what we really want parents to hear is that's okay to stop there. You know, and so everything Mary Flo just said about birth and seeds and eggs, because kids are pretty young when they start asking these questions. And so to also give parents the freedom to say, and that's enough for now. You know, if just because your child's asking these questions doesn't mean you have to give them the full, you know, full blown sex talk at seven because they've asked, you know, you can build these conversations are meant to be building blocks and to kind of add, add to them. And so that's why seeds and eggs, I think, are such great vocabulary words to have as parents, because th that answer of where do babies come from can have kind of an answer A, an answer B, an answer C, and build based on the child's age. So often, one of the biggest questions we get at Birds and Bees is when is the perfect age? Like, when do I tell them? Because yeah. <laughs> you're, just tracking with us. Yeah. you're tracking, this is perfect. And that, I mean, that's, that's the question. When you hear the phrase as a parent talking to your kids about sex, the first question I think parents think about is when, because I want to do this right. And we have a lot of really intentional parents, which is awesome. And you don't want to do it way too young and over-sexualize your young child, but you don't want to do it way too late. And they kind of have more information than you do, you know? So when is the right time? And we have kind of a long story we always share, but the very short version is that it's really difficult to give you an age because if you have more than one child, or if you're around more than one child ever, you are fully aware that a seven-year-old right here and a seven-year-old over here are not the same. You know, like your firstborn at age five or six probably lived a really sweet, simple life. And they had an early bedtime and read lovely books and had healthy organic foods and a great schedule and maybe even napped after school. Some, I mean, it was just idyllic. Yeah. yeah. We've all been there. And it was sweet. And we had, and then we, and it, how lovely, you know, yeah, there, that's the way life yeah. was, you know, it was lovely. It was so simple, so <laughs> endearing and sweet. And then that second child comes or that third or, you know, heaven help us, a fourth came along. And that fourth baby at age seven is living a completely different life. They don't even know what a home cooked meal is. They're in the car all the time. They can sleep at, you know, any given moment on the soccer field. You know, they have no rhyme or reason. They're super flexible. I mean, there's great qualities about them too, but their life is so different. What they're exposed to is so different. And so this oldest child, seven-year-old lives in a really pretty much a seven-year-old world and nothing goes beyond seven. And then this little baby over here and this other family who's seven, well, they have like a 16-year-old brother and they're listening to this fun songs in the car and part of these dinner table conversations about X, Y, and Z. And so none of it is good versus bad. It's just the reality that your family is the age of your oldest child and everybody else keeps up. And so it's kind of a long way of saying we can't tell you when is a perfect age <laughs> because if we said, you know what, seven, um, eight years old and three months and two days, that's when you should do it. That's the perfect time. You all would write that down and do it because they're good, proactive parents, but it's just, that's not true. You know, it is, it's just not the, that's not the reality for our families because to, in some families, they might have a 10 year old and they might think, oh man, I'm so behind. Well, if you're old, if that's your oldest child and they're not exposed to much information or whatever, then that's, you're probably on track. But if it's your youngest, I mean, for me personally, which is what I can speak into, my oldest is 10, I'm an eight-year-old and then my baby's five. When my baby went to kindergarten this year, 
I thought, oh my word, I am now that parent that the other kids are probably like, oh, please don't let him sit next to my child. <laughs> you know, when my oldest went, she knew nothing. She was a little angel baby who just, you know, had just basically exited our home for the first time. And now this third born knows a ton of information and can hang, you know? So I think as far as when, that is not necessarily a bad question, but it's not the question that we want you to focus on. At Birds and Bees, we really want you to focus on the question of who. Of who do I want to be the one to tell them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what, exactly. And that's part of once they get the news of how that baby got in there, part of the things that you have to do to follow up after that conversation, there's several things we want parents to talk about. But one of the things is to say, I'm so glad we got to have this conversation, but it is a parent-child conversation. It is not your job to go tell anybody at school or on the soccer team or at choir tonight. You know, this is big news. And I know it was, you know, it's surprising for people, but par parents want to, they get to decide when their children hear about this. So that'd be good to, as a tagline to say, so your response is, first of all, don't bring it up. But if someone else brings it up, say, why don't you talk to your parents about that? We want parents are the experts. That's our mantra. Parents are the experts. They know all things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So our online course is the most comprehensive resource we have out there. If you follow us on Instagram, we share tons of tidbits and talking points and a lot of great free resources are on there. But as far as the whole enchilada, everything together is the online course. And so that start to finish, it takes just a little over an hour. And we walk you through all six steps of our strategy, our teaching strategy. Um, and that strategy has been around for decades. Mary Flo started teaching this 30 years ago. And so it is time tested. We have generations of parents singing her praises and it works. And so what it really does is walks you through in very practical ways, the preschool to preteen years and gives you age appropriate talking points and basically how to become the expert in your home. And it kind of breaks the talk down into all these age appropriate ways um, where you can have open and healthy ongoing conversations with your kids. And so you can watch the course at home on your laptop, on your TV. You know, some people just like listen to it while they're walking. And then once you own it, you have it lifetime access. So you can watch it once. You can have your spouse watch it with you a second time. You can watch it again a few years later when you're going into third grade and you feel like you need a refresh. Um, and our goal with this course and really everything that we do at Birds and Bees is to equip parents and to empower parents um, because there is a lot of information coming at our kids these days and it's tempting or overwhelming sometimes as parents. And so we just kind of panic and decide to remain silent. And what we really just want to emphasize and urge parents is to not do that um, because your kids need to hear from you. And so our hope is that our course would be an empowering part of your parenting journey and really um, equip you for these conversations. Yes, that's another video that's a separate bit, an optional video to take. And Megan and I are both believers and we in our homes are talking about how this is a design of God's. So just a small phrase that we like to incorporate in our conversations with our children is to start your answer with, well, sweetheart, by God's design, a husband and a wife were made to fit together in a special way. Or honey, by God's design, there are seeds and eggs inside of every created thing. So pointing back to design is um, 
is a great way to actually make you the expert, but know that that expertise comes from someone who was a creator, helping our children know that it's creation and going through that creation story. But also it's like the Bible is full of great stories that then can be relatable. One of the first ones is Noah's Ark. Like, why do you think he had to have two? And just the, that God was holding on to that design. He did not bypass that design. It would have been easier for <laughs> Noah to just take one of every kind. Less food, you know, it's easy. Let's just change the pattern. Let's just change the design. But he didn't. He didn't abandon that. So just talking about those stories, whether it's David and Bathsheba and a more complicated story, or in the Bible when it says one flesh, that's what they're talking about. You know how I explained sexual intercourse to you. That's what they're talking about in the Bible. But then there's just some really beautiful parts, like in Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can think of sex as something that's both fearful, meaning to be respected, and wonderful. And how can something be both of those things? We give the example very often that you can do that with physical things. Like you can talk about the fire in the fireplace, how it draws you in, at least it does me. And I really love to be in front of a fire and it cackles and the smell of it and the sound of it. It's it's one of those things, it's very powerful. But it's it's fearful and therefore it has to have boundaries. Like as long as the as long as the fire is in the fireplace, it can be enjoyed. But when the fire gets out of the fireplace, it can be destructive. And then as they grow older, you can just tell that just by telling it. Like something's fearful plus wonderful. How can that be? The ocean is great, but if it's a tsunami, the tiger is great in the zoo, but if it gets out in our neighborhood, not so great. So it's they're in the right place to be safe. And then as they grow older, you can talk about where is the best, where did God design sex to be? And you can talk about the boundaries, the beauty of his design, the boundaries that he sets. And then you can go on and talk about the brokenness that we see both in the Bible and in our own world, but then the but God, the redemption of that. So there are a lot of ways that you can talk about sex and include your faith. I wanted to say one more thing. There is a there's a workbook that comes with the online course. You can print it off if you want if you want it, you know, tactile if you want to hold on to something, or you can just scroll through it. But there are how many pages? 40? It's like 42 pages of discussion questions. It's really it's very helpful to watch that with your spouse or with a good friend and go through those discussion guides. It really gets it um, personalizes it for you. That's a great job. <laughs> She's amazing, right? <laughs> okay, so our website is birds-bees.com. And then on Instagram, you can follow us at birds underscore underscore bees. There's two underscores, which it's it looks better than it sounds, but you can find us there. <laughs> okay, good. Glad to know. Thank you, Kim. I know. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.
why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.